Yes, indeed. Uh, we have the privilege of sharing today. Um, we have the joy of being parents to three. So Daniel, our firstborn, is here. And then uh, Kathleen and Lizzie are elsewhere in the world. Now, uh, some of you are parents, and you know, we can't claim to be able to... It's such a big topic. We'll just... But today we hope to cover like some biblical principles and some personal lessons that we've learned. Now, some of you are not parents, either by choice or by circumstances, but many of the things that we share today are important not only for that parent-child relationship, but also for other deep relationships. I also want to appreciate the singles. As a parent, I want to appreciate the singles who act as uncles and aunts to our children. You don't have to be those real uncles and aunts. But some of you are uncles and aunts. Um, Nelson, who's usually with us, uh, I really want to ac acknowledge him. Um, he was just such a wonderful uncle to different kids, but especially to little Cora and Shalema when their dad was sick and when he died, he used to visit regularly. And I have this strong picture of him dancing with these little three and four-year-olds at the back of church. And so we value, we want to say to you, singles, we value your input into our children's lives. Many of you are young adults and are not yet parents, but perhaps in the next number of years, you're hoping to get married, you're hoping to have children. So it can be good to give some thought to this important job. You know, we spend so many years training for our job, yeah? As teacher, as lab technician, as midwife, whatever it can be, might be. And yet this really important job of parenting, we often have like no training for it at all. So, um, we're going to look around what are the habits of our home life. Um, so being a parent, it's not, it's not just something that happens once. It's to do with the daily routines and habits that we establish. I do remember uh, the morning of the day when Daniel was born. So my waters broke, I knew I was going into labor, and I was like so excited and said, I'm going to have a baby, I'm going to be a mommy. Now Jerry, who'd worked in obstetrics, knew better than me the tough, tough day that lay ahead. <laughs> but just to say that that giving birth is only that tiny little part of being a, a mom. It's, it's something that continues for life. Yeah. So, uh, I want us to think, what are the habits of our home life? And in Deuteronomy 6, we see some of these habits outlined. It says, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. So what picture does this give to you about the life of a family? Can you picture the parents talking with their children about what's important? 
Like not just now and again, but like every morning, every evening, every mealtime, every day as they sit together, every time as they walk together. There's a sense of life together and living that life in the acknowledgement of who God is and of loving God. So then the first habit I want to talk about is having regular times for interacting. And this can be relevant for many relationships. This is true for friendships and also for our relationships with our parents. So meals together is a good place to start. We know that in biblical times and in, in many, many cultures that eating a meal is a sign of community. You know, and we can think of the importance of it when we think about how Jesus actually used a meal and the breaking of bread together as a symbol of community, of this is my body broken for you, eat and remember. So it's a, it's a symbol of our connection with Jesus and our connection with each other. So it is important for us to establish good habits around mealtimes. I know sometimes when we're visiting, maybe with family or friends in Ireland, uh, they might say, oh, you know, if it was breakfast time, don't, and I might be going to call our kids, and they might say, oh, don't worry, they, they can sleep in or they can come when they're, they can come when they're hungry, it's okay. Um, but for us, it was important actually having the time to sit down together to eat. For me, uh, growing up, the TV was on a lot of, all the time, I could say, at mealtimes. And um, I really think that that had a ne negative impact on our family life. Like, I hardly remember any serious conversations, to tell you the truth, growing up. And um, I think now in today's world, that might be like devices at the table that are distracting people from really interacting. Now, I realize that some parents might be late home from work, um, and so you don't want to be eating really late. Do remember, parents, kids need like 10 hours of sleep every night, and as teachers, we see the impact if they're not getting enough sleep. So it, it won't always work, uh, but it is important to consider how you can have regular mealtimes together and to make that a regular habit. Uh, in our home, we have the habit of having tea and a little bit of chocolate or something sweet after our evening meal. So that's become a routine and nobody rushes off. Everyone knows that's, that's happening. And when the kids were young, that was a time to talk together. Uh, for quite a few years then, we had devotionals together at, at that time. And of course, that's then a time when questions, can, that the kids start asking questions. And, uh, as you know, kids have so many questions. There's so much going on in their little minds. And it's really important that we take time to listen and to share. Another thing that uh, really worked for us was, was having a time of reading bedtime stories, reading to our kids, even up to maybe when they were 12 years old. And I know some people even go beyond that, but that's a time to enjoy together. As children grow older, their needs change. I know some of you are adapting now to having teenagers in the house. And 
So it's important still as teenagers to still have those uh, times of, of interacting. Uh, I remember we, when our kids were teens, we, kinda, we thought we were doing well as a family and we lots of family times. But then da Daniel came to us and he said, you know, we have family times, but I never have any time with you, with you two yourselves. And I'm really glad, Dan, that you like challenged us on that. And I think that then really made a difference to our relationship to then have that time to actually uh, talk together um, and just to be aware of that. And, um, you know, as they grew and went away from home, then it was important to establish new patterns. And we're very thankful for, for WhatsApp and to be able to, to um, keep interacting with them. But this, and, and we can, you know, I'm thinking for you guys, like continue to do that with your parents wherever they are and now in the, in the age of technology to keep building those relationships. So this passage from um, Deuteronomy <clears throat> shows, uh, we're not quite there. I'm, I'm still back on the other passage, yeah. The passage from Deuteronomy um, that we looked at um, shows the role of parents in teaching their kids. And just to say parents and parents-to-be and aunties and uncles, we have that important role in teaching our children. Yeah, the influence of the home is actually much stronger than the influence of the school. And children will learn from us whether or not you're trying to teach them. Like they see our priorities, they see what our reactions, they see what's important uh, to us. But also be ready to learn from our children. Jesus valued the attitude of children. In fact, he said we should become like little children. Uh, one thing I've noticed about little children, whether they're in the sand or the grass, wherever they are, they're full of wonder. And perhaps that's one aspect of their attitude that, that Jesus was referring to. And I know for some of us, some of people, children might be at boarding school, and so you've, you've less time together. But then it's really important to think about the times when your children are with you and to really, uh, yeah, invest, invest in them. My experience with working with young children is that they don't need fancy toys. They need opportunities to explore the world around them and to play and to interact with others. They need adults who listen to them, who'll take their ideas and their uh, questions seriously. I know many parents feel they need to ex uh, like accept a job, even if it's far away from their family. Um, and you know, I can't, I can't judge. I've been really fortunate to be able to to be working close to where my, you know, with my family. But I do want to emphasize parents and parents-to-be uh, don't underestimate the value of being present on a day-to-day -day basis with your children. Uh, at school, we have a lot of UN families uh, who are often working in Congo, South Sudan, or Somalia. Um, uh, on Fridays at school, we have a short time where kids have the opportunities to share how they're feeling. And I'm, I've just been shocked at how often 
their feelings are impacted by their parents coming or going. So they'll say, oh, I'm feeling happy because my mom's coming back next week. Or I'm feeling sad. My dad's going to go. He's going to be away for some weeks. Like that is the thing that's impacting them the most. That is something that's really, really valuable. Um, so yes, just to say again, today we're looking particularly at parent-child relations, but that these things are applicable for other relationships. And just to take time to invest in relationships and develop habits for interacting together. So another habit we see in the Bible is to do with celebration. So we'll go on to the Deuteronomy, the other Deuteronomy passage. Um, so in this passage, Deuteronomy 12 and Deuteronomy 16, and even other places in Deuteronomy, there is so much about rejoice before the Lord. You and your families were commanded to rejoice, celebrate, rejoice. It's for your sons and your daughters, but it's also for the wider community. No one is left out. And I think even then as families, we do need to be aware of who are the singles and are they included in our celebrations and, uh, and singles, you know, you're still part of a family of the church, a family of friends, a fa your other families. So take times. God is saying, celebrate, rejoice before the Lord. Can you imagine it seven, four times a year, having seven days with your family and the wider community? So in the Bible, people are encouraged to work really hard, but there's also this really strong pattern of the importance of rest and of celebration. God's commanding us to be joyful, to set aside time to be joyful. He wants that for us. He knows that we need that as people. And these joyful times are in the presence of the Lord. It's not like we're having a party and we're forgetting him, but that we're celebrating all the more joyful because he is uh, with us. So then that's one of our, of our habits then, is, is to have regular times of celebration. So what might that look like? I mean, maybe it's getting together weekly with family and friends. Maybe it's doing something special together. So Jimmy, you can just go on to, yeah, go on. Yeah, keep going. Hmm. Are, are you going backwards, I'm wondering? Yeah, just one more. I mean, it's just showing, yeah, another habit, regular times of celebration. So what might it look like? It might be doing something small, special together. Actually, Jimmy here, he doesn't know I'm going to say this, but he used to have regular Saturday afternoon movies with his boys. You know, even that is a little, a little mini celebration in the week. A time together where the dad make, puts a bit of effort to choose a movie, get things set up and go for it. That's a time together. You know, it doesn't have to be a big thing. Birthdays can be a great time to celebrate. Again, it doesn't have to be big. There doesn't need to be a fancy cake. We used to get a tub of ice cream, put a few sweets on it, and stick a few candles in it. Like, that's fine, just a few friends. It doesn't need to be big, but those can be times of celebration. Play some games together. 
I mean, in one sense, I don't think our family are very good at having regular times of celebration, and maybe it's our upbringing where we came from that it wasn't really valued, but I do strongly see it as a biblical principle and something worth investing in. Okay, the next habit is uh, having a nurturing environment. So one of the pictures we have of God is as a gardener. So in Isaiah 5, it talks about how God tended his vineyard, his people. Now, gardeners know about plants. Uh, Royce Iverson, who was our pastor here for some years, he was a gardener. And when he was leaving, uh, he took plants from his garden and he brought them to us. But I remember him saying, oh yeah, these ones need to be in the sun. These ones need to be in the shade. He knew exactly what was the right place for different plants. And so it is with us. Our role as parents is as a nurturer or a gardener, providing that environment, providing that right soil where our children will grow. You know, when children are different, what works for one might not work for another. And even over time, there's change, and the input will need to be different. Uh, I see a lot of good examples in this church of um, parents recognizing their children's individuality and providing just what they need. So a few examples. I don't know if you know that um, Alex's son, uh, Maldwin, is a, he's very interested in architecture. Um, He's really good at those kind of technical drawings, you know, with the ruler and, um, you know, getting out designing things. And so his parents encourage that. They make sure he's got the the paper, the pencil, the time he needs to do that. Um, Other things uh, I'm thinking of, Naya loves crafts. And so Trina has all the bits and bobs, the little fabric, the little things that she needs, or maybe her little sewing kit, I'm not sure, but the things that really work for her. We've got some great little mini musicians in this place, like Bagabi, whose parents have guitar, and Zion with the drum, and some older musicians. Jackie making sure that uh, Jonathan had, had uh, like music lessons and able to develop that talent. Sanyu, who loves books and you know, can keep reading, so making sure she has that. Jal, who loves animals, and so even though Trina might not want lots of pets, but to have that nurturing environment for Jal to flourish, to be happy, like, let we do it. I see Gloria with just her warmth and her sacrifice and just giving into into Natalia's life. So all of these are examples, and, you know, as some of you become parents in the future, you've many mentors here that you can come to for advice. Part of that loving, part of that nurturing is loving discipline. So teaching them what's right and having fair consequences for when they do wrong. So for example, if, if your children are always leaving a mess, not, not tidying up their toys, you might tell them, if you don't tidy up your toys, uh, I'm going to take them away for two days. 
so that they know the consequence. You follow through with it if you need to, but it's a fair consequence. It's important for us to really have self-control. It is easy with kids to get angry, and I've struggled with that, but we shouldn't be acting out of anger. We need to act out of love for what is best and to teach them the right way. And building trust is really important in, in all of this. It's important that our children can trust us and trust what we say. Sometimes at school, I'll hear less experienced adults saying things that they don't really intend to carry out. So for example, something like, if you don't, if you don't finish this, then you won't be allowed to go home. And it's like, they think that it's okay to threaten the children because they're not actually going to carry it out. But then we lose the trust of children. Uh, similarly, if there's something difficult to say, like sometimes I see parents um, saying, no, like I won't leave you, I, like to their little ones, but then they sneak out when the child's not looking. You know, but it, uh, I'm thinking also of a story of a, of a child, Umar. He told me that when he was three years old, his mum got a job where she was going to be working in South Sudan, and she was about to leave the next day. And he cried and cried that he didn't want her to leave. And so she said, okay, I won't leave. And so he settled down and he went to sleep. And when he woke up the next morning, she was gone. And so that was the first eroding of trust. And after that, there were also times where she said, I'll be back for your birthday. And she wasn't back for her birthday. Like, if something comes up that you can't keep a promise, you just need to explain the situation. But you don't want to be just trying to make, keep them happy now uh, and saying something that'll keep them happy if it's, if it's not actually the truth, because they have to be able to trust your word. Now, part of a nurturing environment is, um, is staying strong as a couple. And I know some are single parents, and God will give you strength for that task, but his ideal is that children are raised in a home with a mother and a father. So our children used to sometimes ask us, oh, wh who do you love the most? So I would always say, I love Jerry the most. So for our children, having the security that we were strong as a couple, like that gave them security and role models. And we can end up giving out so much to our kids that, you know, we've nothing left for each other. And yet that's not in our own or in the kids' best interest. Yeah. So no one is perfect as a parent. You know, we can't be perfect. Our own parents weren't perfect. You know, we try to do these different things, but, you know, we don't always succeed. I often got things wrong. You know, Lizzie was so strong-willed as a, as a young child. Um, like, I wasn't always patient. Like, I remember times, like, say, when she was, like, five or six, and I'd be carrying her, and she'd be complaining about something. And I remember a few times, like, just dropping her, just letting go of her and dropping her. Like, I know you all thought I was caring, but, <laughs> like, these things... But, you know, anyway, sometimes I got frustrated. We're not perfect, but God's grace 
extends to us in this as it extends to us in all things. And so we bring this big job we're giving to him in prayer. You know, knowing he cares for us, knowing he'll give us strength for each challenge. And we bring our children to him in prayer. There's power in prayer. We continue to pray for them at each stage of our lives. For those of you who are interested, Jackie has a digital book called The Power of a Praying Parent. And um, she's willing to share that for those who are interested. But we continue to pray for them even as they go. I think some uh, mums especially are, are almost afraid of that time when they'll leave home. Uh, but we can let them go, confident that God is with them. And we've really seen that in our kids' lives. And actually, we're blessed that some of them have bounced back to us. Um, but let me share one example of God's care. So Lizzie moved to a new city recently where, for work in England. And uh, it was her birthday was coming up. And she was thinking, oh, I won't get any presents this year because like, nobody knows me here. And she, she went to church, um, to a new church, at, uh, like a couple of Sundays before her birthday. And this guy came up to her and he gave her some birthday presents. And he said, God told me to, to, buy, to get these birthday presents. And I think it's you I'm meant to give them to. So we really thank God. So uh, I want to end my part. Jerry's coming up. Um, but uh, I want to end this part by saying, parenting is very joyful. Um, so I want to share this uh, poem that I wrote for Daniel when he was 20. Uh, I gaze enthralled, your face, fingers, toes, tiny yet perfectly made. What thoughts lie under that soft down of hair? You laugh and joy breaks out around me, dancing through the garden to my heart. In your manly frame, stubble on your chin, a million sparks of creativity and thought under that spiky hair. Still your laughter explodes and joy dances right across the world. So probably, Daniel, you don't remember, but there was a particular Skype call that kind of inspired this second verse, like just where you were sharing something you were happy about and laughing. And it just was that, that, that. When our kids are joyful, that, that joy comes to us too. And so that's what I was capturing there. Uh, you know, and God calls us his children. He rejoices over us. And what a wonderful that picture that is for all of us. Yeah. Oh. You've always got to be careful with these microphones, especially if you're a politician or you're going to the bathroom or something. <laughs> right. Um. One of the things that you learn if you work with babies is that men and women handle babies differently. And women are always horrified when they see someone picking up a little baby and throwing it around the place. And therefore, I'm just saying that, that when it comes to family, you've got different roles. And when it comes to speaking, I'm not going to 
pretend to be the same as Moira in what I'm saying. Um, I'm going to take off my mask now. Yeah. But there's a few, a few words, if we could just go to the next slide, please. Uh, on, on spiritual headship, and I'm speaking primarily to men here, and um, I'm not following some politically correct gender role narrative, so you've got to live with that. Um, next one. Um, priest to your family, priesthood. Uh, one of the requirements that St. Paul lays out in 1 Timothy chapter 3 for someone to be a deacon or elder in the church is that they manage their own family well, in verse 4 and 5. And if you can't be a priest to your own household, you probably shouldn't think that you're well qualified to be priest to the church or the nation. Um, there are men in this church who can testify that I have given them this counsel, I've said it to them, and I have yet to regret saying it to anybody. Um, lots of people think they're called by God to do something or other, but if, if they can't function um, and, as, and focus on their role as a husband or a father, and they get over-focused on their ministry, then there's a problem. Um, if you shouldn't get focused as a new husband or a new father on your ministry. If we look at the, if we look at the Old Testament, there was even a, a, a rule that when someone got married, they couldn't go to war for a year that they were meant to focus on their marriage, that it was more important than the nation, if you like, or that responsibility. So it's really important not to, to get confused on this. And there are many families that get destroyed by people not focusing on their family because they think they're meant to be focusing on their ministry. And there's many ministries that subsequently fall apart because they didn't focus on their family either because their marriage falls apart or because they end up with lots of issues with their children that wouldn't have been there if they had had the correct focus at the beginning. So that's why I'm saying that, that your family is a priority. You know, to those who are faithful in small things, greater things will be added. Those other things will come. But I'm never impressed by someone who's getting all excited about their ministry if it's at the expense of their family. Um, it's, it's just basically like driving on the wrong side of the road. Something bad is going to happen. Um, and they're just going too fast without, you know, thinking what they're going to meet coming around the corner. So it's really important that people understand in church that ministry is not something they should focus on for family. And I remember you know, seeing people complain when I saw people in my own church growing up, you know, getting married and then just drawing back, because they all wanted them to teach in the Sunday school and do this and do that and do whatever. But, you know, this one young man I know who did it, he was right. He pulled out of, he pulled out of a lot of the things he was doing. And, you know, the sad thing is that, you know, his wife died of cancer and he was left with, with one daughter. But if he hadn't focused early on, on pulling out of all the church stuff and just focusing on his family, he wouldn't have had the relationship with his daughter or even his wife to live through that. So I think it's important to, to realize what priorities are and don't look to your you know, church, you want someone to do something for them or to your deluded ego that you're meant to be getting involved in church stuff if really you're meant to be focusing on family. 
Related to that is the idea of prioritize. It, it's the same with professions, careers, and business. Priorities, it's fine to go and work hard and plan and plan ahead and to want material security for your family, and particularly for single parents, this is even a bigger issue. But if it starts taking up all your time and all your mind and all your heart, then it has overgrown its boundaries. It's become cancerous. To materially provide for your family is a good thing, but wives and children don't live by bread alone. Relationships don't just happen on their own. And material provision can't substitute for emotional and spiritual provision or replace quality time spent with those who love and love you. And many people don't realize this in time. And, you know, they get to the end of their lives and they've got broken marriages and alienated families. And I can assure you that your business colleagues, your clients, your bosses, and your workers are not all going to be rushing to your bedside when you're dying. And if they were, you wouldn't want them there. You know, if that's... If that's you know, where your treasure is, your heart is also. If people's treasure is just put in, in that sense of identity that comes from work or material security or whatever, um, they'll discover that it's a very small blanket when the world gets cold. Uh, so it's not going to cover them. It doesn't provide um, what, what they need. And the other third thing I want to move on to here is is prayer. You know, the, the Catholics call the, the Lord's Prayer the Our Father or the family prayer. And they say that the family that prays together stays together. And Morris touched a little bit on this of having times with your family. Um, but I think it was kind of interesting. You know, if you go and look at Matthew chapter 6 and look at um, the Lord's Prayer, it's, it's all about family. It starts with our Father. You know, the Catholics call it the Our Father. It starts with our Father. It's about family relationship. The, the nature of prayer is viewed within the context of family. And, you know, I was amazed when you go through that prayer, there's so much of it that's sort of about healthy, organic family relationship, but operating at the spiritual as well as the practical level. So, you know, when it says, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed by the name for, you know, you go on then, forgive us our sins, our debts, as we forgive others. And this idea of debts, of, you know, owing people, of people owing you, of relationships and families, of forgiveness, um, you, you cannot and should not allow anger, resentment, or bitterness to take root in your heart in your marriage or in your family. If you see what happens when you have families that have unforgiveness and bitterness. I have a very close friend who's probably the cleverest lawyer in this town, Robert Corunda. And Robert Corunda was telling me about a particular family in Uganda. I won't say who they are, but I did business with them many years ago. Father was a very wealthy government minister, died. The kids were in London, some of them were doing cocaine, you know, they're all over the place. And they all started scrambling to get the estate of the father. And um, somehow my lawyer ended up stuck in the middle of this through no choice of his own. And somehow the family went to Mise to intervene. <laughs> so he ended up at a state house, listening to this stuff. And somehow it ended up in front of a judge. And the judge was a very wise Ugandan judge. And he told the whole family 
to go home and read Charles Dickens' book, Bleak House, and come back a month later. And it's a book about a whole family falling apart. You know, and, and just the loss of an estate, the loss of a whole legacy. And so you, you've got to think from the very beginning about what legacy it is you are building. And I remember saying to that same friend a number of years ago when his, his wife, who's also a very capable lawyer, was offered a job in New York. And I said, you know, what legacy are you building? What legacy do you want to build for your children? What legacy are you building for the next generation? You know, if your wife is just some other girl in an office in New York, where's your family? What are you building? And one of the problems is when you come from a background where everyone wants to do their PhDs and everyone wants to go, you know, it was a difficult decision to make, but you know, the things that subsequently happened in their lives, it was very important that they made that decision. So you've got to think about legacy, but as we go through the Lord's Prayer, um, it's kind of interesting because, you know, after you get through the forgiveness bit, it says, lead us not into temptation or translated testing. And I think it's not that God tempts you, but what, the, the, what that bit is saying is that you've got to seek covering, you've got to seek protection, you've got to continually seek God to put you in a protected place. And as a priest to your own household, you've got to continually think about protection and a covering, a spiritual covering and protection for a family, not just practical and financial, but a spiritual covering. And it's very interesting because immediately after it talks about, about that seeking protection, it says, deliver us from evil. It's talking about covering and spiritual headship and then deliverance. And now when we think of the word deliverance, we, you know, we think about you know, people casting out demons or whatever. And I'm not saying that isn't what it's about, but I'm saying right here at the heart of the Lord's Prayer, it's talking about delivering us from evil within the family prayer. And I think it's really important to understand that we do not need to be victims of the curses of the past, either your personal past or your family, whether that's your spouse or your parents or your grandparents, or your generational inheritance. And it doesn't matter whether your generational inheritance comes from Africa or comes from Europe. There's plenty of bad stuff back there in the past um, that you might not realize until you dig into it. You know, my ancestors rustled far more cattle than the Karamajong ever did. That's why they were sent to Ireland from Scotland. It took them a few weeks to rustle 10,000 head of cattle when they had a disagreement with the English. And the English got very upset and said, well, either execute you or you've all got to go to Ireland. And then they're sent there to fight instead. That's hundreds of years ago, but that's an inheritance. You know, so you think that violence just comes from one place, but, you know, the, these inheritances are there. We, we all have to to realize that they are there, and it's, it's, it's important to, to not be passing on your problems to your children. Your children are quite capable of generating their own problems all on their own without your help. But the least you can do is cut off the generational stuff that has impacted you, and I don't have the time or the inclination to go into the stuff that I ended up with, uh, but all of us have stuff, and anyone who thinks they don't, I suggest that you go and go on YouTube and look up Derek Prince's videos on basically on, on blessings and curses and on deliverance and go and watch them for a few hours. 
and you begin getting an understanding of the spiritual dynamic of how that world works. But I think it's incredibly important that you recognize that you have the opportunity to break those chains and you have a duty to. You have a duty to your children and you have a duty to yourself and you have a duty to your spouse and you do them all a great disservice if they have to carry your burdens or your ancestors' burdens into the next generation. It's really important that you deal with that. And when I was wondering about where we moved to in this, um, there's a couple of things came together. I wanted to just spend a bit of time with Patrick singing over the congregation, but also this is a time of communion in the church. And so what I'm going to do is I want to hand over to tomorrow to lead us into communion. And I'm going to just join Patrick and we're just going to, as we're having communion, we're going to sing through two songs. One is Break Every Chain and the other is The Blessing. And it's the idea of breaking off the curses and moving into the blessing that God has prepared for, for us as as his people, as his families. So I'll hand over to Maura, and I'll give her this so I can use Mike. Oh, okay. So as, as we come to uh, communion, I'm reading from Isaiah 53. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. So Jesus, we thank you so much for what you have done for us. Thank you for what your death means. It even means more than we can understand. But thank you, Lord, that, that you died for our forgiveness, but also that these iniquities, that are these things that are passed down, that are sins that have been generational in our families, that you died so that those can be crushed. Lord, we really thank you. Lord, as we take this, um, this bread and wine together, Lord, we remember and we rejoice in what you have done for us. We say thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you have done. Amen. So the people who are, there's two stations for communion. So come and uh, have communion. And then Jimmy, would you put up the last slide of the PowerPoint? Uh, there's going to be a chance then to either go into small groups to pray, uh, to pray for each other, pray uh, like either breaking free from anything in our family backgrounds that stops us operating in the fullness, praying for those who are parents or who will be parents that we parent in a godly way. Or if you wish and you want, you've something specific that this is stirred up within you that you want prayer for from a couple of leaders, then please do come to the front after taking communion.